We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. First pick in the 1991 NBA draft, the Charlotte Hornets select... Larry Johnson from University of Chicago. A lot of people from where I'm from. Don't make me. Don't make me. Don't uh, two straight back-to-back games in Uptown against Giannis and the defending champion Milwaukee Bucks. If you haven't listened to those uh, or listened to that episode, it started out on Twitter Spaces, but it's a couple days ago. It made its way into all of your podcast feeds. Um, speaking of that, please make sure to rate and review our podcast. There are lots of great reviews on Apple Podcasts, which is super fun, super ex- encouraging to see. Just speaking for myself, I know I always get jazzed when I see someone leave a, a pretty heartfelt review. Again, those those mean a lot and they, they support the pod. And recently, uh, we started having reviews on Spotify um, and those are starting to build up too. So yeah, again, wherever you get your pods, please make sure to rate and review uh, BuzzBeat. We are going to continue to be bringing uh, Hornets content all season long as they push for the playoffs. But uh, the Charlotte Hornets also have the chance of keeping uh, their first round pick this year. And look, we uh, we do draft coverage, you know, no matter what. So we're starting a little bit early. Draft is, you know, five months away, five and a half months away. But we're about halfway through the college basketball season. Conference play is basically starting across the board, or really started, I guess, in full about a week and a half ago. You know, right when the Christmas holiday wraps up. So we are going to get into this by discussing three prospects. It's going to be me, Brian, um, along with Lee and Spencer is going to be joining us momentarily as well we're going to discuss three guys patrick baldwin jr uh, johnny davis and ben benedict matherin so one freshman and two sophomore stars all playing uh division one basketball this season so have not we're not going to be touching on any of the g league or overtime guys quite yet or international guys quite yet but let's start off by getting into patrick baldwin Junior, one of the better prospects in the 2022 NBA draft. Uh, freshman forward, 6'9, 220, uh, plays at uh, Wisconsin Milwaukee. He's coached by his father, Patrick Baldwin. He just recently turned 19 in November. 
So he'll be 19 at the time of the 2022 draft. And even for a little bit when the next NBA season starts, the 2022-2023 NBA uh, season. First things first with Baldwin, I think maybe it wouldn't be a bad idea to just touch on athleticism quickly. I think that's a decent place to start. Obviously, he has a great frame, great size. I think of him positionally as a hybrid forward and a stretch four. And to be to be clear, this is a guy that, despite some struggles this season, I am um, I'm pretty high on, and we can maybe discuss some of the issues and some of the numbers and some of the concerns, but perhaps some reasons for optimism here. But I would say, like, uh, definitely not like explosive, super explosive, but a, a pretty good athlete obviously has good size you do see his ability to apply his strength uh when he is in fact going north south with the basketball maybe don't see those kinds of you know three-point line to rim drives at least all that often certainly this season uh with with milwaukee um and i do think that's 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 sort of an important note but good length and and also this season he's dealt with both ankle and calf injuries which have cost him some time we may have actually seen the last of Patrick Baldwin Jr. for this season. I wouldn't be entirely surprised if, if he got um, shut down. He has not played in the last two games for Milwaukee, both losses at Detroit and at Oakland. Um, and yeah, has not been a, a super great season for him. Has only played eight games, under 32% on threes, 42% on twos. Um, you know, 74% from the line. So really not much of a sample to go on and, and not a whole lot of positives to take from this year. But let's start it off before we get into some of some of the aspects of, of Baldwin's Baldwin Jr.'s game. Lee, what are your thoughts on on Patrick Baldwin physically? And, you know, where do you see him in terms of uh, sliding him in the draft this, for uh, this season? Yeah, he he's an interesting one, Brian. I it sounds like I might be like, slightly lower on him than you are i'm sure we'll kind of get into some of the nuance and and again like i think it is it is worth at least mentioning that i'm glad we're jumping on the draft stuff early this year because number one it's just like super interesting to talk about and we all enjoy it um but it it also is like a very like at least for me at this point in the draft kind of evaluation process like it's very fluid you know like there are players that I might not be quite as high on right now that will end up, you know, climbing all the way up my board and vice versa. So um, with Baldwin Jr., I mean, you, you said it, like he's struggling with injuries right now. He's played eight games out of the 16 that Milwaukee has, has played. He also missed a lot of his senior season in high school right. um, due to kind of like lower leg injuries as well. So he's just a guy who – we haven't seen a ton of, but like, I guess, all right, to get to kind of my just initial general thoughts, yeah. the size, the shooting and the skill, like it jumps off the screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you're talking about like a 6'9", 6'10", like you said, hybrid wing that mechanically, I mean, shoots a beautiful basketball. And range isn't really an issue for him. Like, uh, you know, he can put it on the floor to a, de- to a degree. He's got some ball skills. And and although he's got a lot of the defensive deficiencies that that every young player has, he's got enough size, length, and intelligence to like make some impact on that end too. I think I'm just I'm just really worried right now about kind of his lack of production 
mixed with the lack of time. And it's it's not like we haven't seen guys like this before. You know, James Wiseman only played three games in college. You can go all the way, get back to a guy like Kyrie Irving, who didn't play a ton of games in college. So this is not an uncommon thing necessarily. It just gives me some pause. You know, the the shooting efficiency numbers aren't great. But there, but when you drill down into the synergy profile, Brian, like there are some decent shooting numbers. The spot up numbers are pretty decent, seventy sixth percentile, fifty six point eight uh, adjusted field goal on on spot ups in the, mm. in the half court. His average overall offensive profile is pretty decent. He's solid numbers in transition. Again, we're talking about a small sample size here. You know, I just. And like you said, we may not see him again. And Milwaukee's not good. Like this is not an NCAA tournament team. <laughs> they're bad. Yeah. They're, they're, this is not. Yeah. The, the Horizon League is is generally a, a pretty good league. And and um, yeah, I know I know pretty well uh, a, a couple of people that that work on staffs in that league. It's it's good basketball. Um, yeah. But uh, but yeah, this is not like a good Horizon League team by any stretch. And I think that gets real quickly. That does get yeah. to an important part of. Uh, sort of like the development pathway for Baldwin and why context is important with him. Patrick Baldwin Jr. plays for his dad, which we touched on at the at, yep. the, at the top. And look, every you know whether you're a, a Patrick Baldwin type who you at one point were the number one uh, prospect in your class, or right. if you're a three star recruit, like if you have options, you should be able to play for wherever the hell you want, right? Like if you want to play for your dad, that's awesome, man. You can do it. Go for it. Like I've got no no issues there, but. To boil it down, he ended up kind of picking between Milwaukee in the Horizon League versus Duke in the ACC, or even something like like perhaps the you know going the G League route, which maybe would have yep. been uh, not a bad path for him. But it came down to Milwaukee and Duke. It looked like for various points in time he was going to end up at Duke, and then again went down to the wire, picked Milwaukee. Um, there were people that were I think surprised on both sides of the fence there, but. Um, if he goes to Duke, I think he's set up in a slightly different role than we're seeing now where he's not going to be the primary guy in a half court offense, right? I mean, he would get his, he would get his touches and his possessions, but for the most part, he would be used in a role that probably would be closer to what he did with the the USA under 19 team at the world cup this summer. Well, I saw every game Baldwin played in this summer and was very impressed with him. Um, playing on a, on just what was a stack team USA team and just being like an awesome spacing agent, a pick and pop guy, a relocation guy for that offense. But you know, getting to play off Kennedy Chandler and Mike Miles and Jaden Ivey and Chet Holmgren, and he could have had that's a that's a just to quickly like that's a great point, Brian. Because just to like add to your point, the context with, with Milwaukee is like the exact opposite. Yes, like exactly. they actually have a couple like wing guard scores, but they really don't have a guy that like sets people up. So I was just gonna, yeah, yeah, exactly. So a lot of it is there's not like a breakdown guy to get the ball, and there's gonna be a lot of possessions where it is Patrick Baldwin Jr., you know, initiating offense late in the shot clock or, or whatever, as opposed to getting to like you know, spot up around a Palo Bancaro post up or an elbow isolation yep. or, or something like that. So that's important. And like, I don't think it's necessarily like a bad thing that he's getting, he's getting those reps on the college level, you know, outside of what he was doing in, in the prep ranks or, uh, you know, uh, in, or any of AAU or anything like that. But, um, you know, it's one of those things where if Baldwin Jr. goes into Milwaukee and just kills it as like a number one this year, then he probably is like putting himself into being a, a position of uh, 
one of the top four or five guys in the draft, you know, and, and he's probably because it has not gone great. And some of the injury issues, you know, he's probably, you know, as opposed to look being looked like a top seven or eight guy, I'm guessing some people may still have him in that, but it does feel like he slipped a little bit more to like, um, you know, mid, mid late lottery. I mean, I, I would not have this guy falling out of the lottery by any stretch. And, and I could still be talked into taking Patrick Baldwin jr. Very early in the draft. Um, it does feel like he and Caleb Houston at Michigan are the two guys who, two NCAA guys that have, um, you know, just when teams are drafting them, they're going to have to also rely on stuff that happened before college, um, prep international, that type of stuff, because, uh, it hasn't gone like great outside of some flashes this season. But as far as like the one-on-one creation efforts and scoring for Baldwin junior go, you know, I don't love it. Um, you know, he'll hit an ISO step back three from 26. Mm-hmm. You kind of see the vision, like the high release. He does have the ability to create space uh, at times, um, uh, unless uh, Jabari Walker is guarding him. But <laughs> the, uh, the, the stroke and touch, like it's intriguing. And he's shown flashes, yep. rare ones at that of downhill drive, right? Where he, he really, he can get to his right hand and use his strength and his size advantage and, and sort of like push guys off and, and finish. And I, that's also where I think you see his length being used, not just as like a, a catch and shoot guy or a pull up guy, but he has the ability to sort of like uncoil and use his length to finish around the basket, um, you know, extending, getting above guys, that type of stuff. But he's not like a rim pressure player. So he's going to have to shoot it. And I think that's fine. Like, I think he's going to be a good shooter, but where does that leave you? I don't think Baldwin is a guy that necessarily projects. And let's make. I'm sure for some people who are Baldwin optimist or or Baldwin, um, they they really like him as a prospect. I think you can still, if you want to still buy into that. But for me, he seems like a player that NBA offenses can certainly feature because a guy that that's tall, that can shoot like that. You can take advantage of that. However, like it's tough for me to see him being like an engine of offense or like a top option. I'm not saying that all that option is like off the table entirely. Right. But I just like, I right now, don't see it. So I would like to touch on a little bit of his of of my favorite aspect of his game, which is the movement shooting. But Lee, before we touch on that, do you have any other thoughts sort of about Baldwin, you know, how this year has gone for him, creating his own shot, issues with that? And yeah. uh, maybe even the maybe even just you, you touched on it very briefly, but or at least you mentioned it, but just sort of like um the team around him in the context of playing uh with this roster. Yeah, no, I mean, you you laid it out perfectly by comparing the USA experience and frankly, like the perspective and takeaway of him in the USA experience this summer versus what you see at Milwaukee. Like uh, like Goldston for Milwaukee is a really good scorer. Uh, Lathan can score the ball, but these guys are like get it themselves kind of guys. It's, yeah. it's just not a very harmonious like roster construction for Milwaukee right now. So, and I agree with you, Brian, like I buy the shooting. I mean, he's, he's, uh, he's 31% from three right now, 15 for 47 on the year, but you see the mechanics. He's in a tough situation. He's taking a lot of tough shots. He also is, uh, really good shooting off the dribble, um, so far this season, which is impressive and in a very small sample size. So you can't really buy too much into this, but his like pick and roll ball handling numbers aren't bad either. So like he does have some flashes of skill shooting off the dribble obviously able to stretch the floor with his size that seems to be able to fit into like 
uh, general NBA offense to me. That that yeah. totally makes sense. Yeah. What's interesting and what I would be interested in your thoughts on him, obviously the size and I think like decent general basketball intelligence will help him on the on the defensive end. Agreed. His defensive numbers are actually solid. His stocks are, you know, they're okay. Like he's just under a steal and a block a game. So he's not like blowing anything away there, but they're they're uh, they're they're respectable numbers, I would say, in the in the eight games he's played. The question for me becomes because I I agree with you. I don't think it's completely off the table that he would become this kind of <laughs> Michael Porter Jr. type, uh, you know, which is kind of a funny comparison due to their size and the fact that Porter Jr. barely played in college as well. I don't necessarily see him becoming like a primary or even like secondary main offensive option for a really good team. I don't know that he's like the type that's going to really get others involved. Yeah. So for me, it comes down to I buy the shooting. The physical attributes are what they are. How much can you buy into the defensive impact? And if that is something that you are optimistic on, I think Baldwin is like a surefire top 10 guy. Yeah. If you're not as optimistic on that, which I'm not at the moment, he, he kind of slides back into that late lottery, you know, middle of the first round for me. Yeah. Um, so I was just curious on what you've seen. Can you take anything away, like, from the defensive projections that, that you've got opinions on? My, my overall read of his defense, like, I am, I would say, loosely optimistic, but there's a limit to it. Like, my thought is he's big and he knows where to be generally. So I think yep. he'll fit into a system and be solid, not a plus defender, but not um, – you know, not necessarily a below average defender. So, but I think with that size and that positioning, he's playable in a variety of different contexts, including, and this is what you have to think about with these guys. Uh, you know, can you see, can you, can you step back and envision Patrick Baldwin Jr. being on the court on both sides of the floor in a playoff game five years from now, right? Right. Or 10 years right. from now. Um, Cause that's like the true test, you know, like obviously some guys are just like, you know, you have a, a prospect like um, like Zion, and you're just like they're just so good. You know, I I know where yep. they're at, but guys that are in that the 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 sort of like you know early to mid to late lottery discussion, and you're not sure if they have star potential or not or whatever. But you've got to at least think like where is their floor as a as a prospect? Can they be a, a person that does enough stuff on both sides of the court so they're playable in a playoff game or a postseason matchup or whatever? And so. A big reason why Baldwin Jr. is attractive to me as a prospect and why I feel generally pretty positive about him moving forward is the, is the shooting and the movement shooting. And I just think there's a floor for him because of that. He's big. Right. He's tall, tall target. I mean, we talk about this with Porter Jr. Like when he gets to work with Jokic, like he gives Jokic this, this 6'10 guy that can, that can cut and, and run around pin downs and like just, just, you know, it's like giving a really tall, you know, red zone target to a quarterback or whatever. Um, and he's, he has, he has a great release, great touch. I really like the relocation skills, like, you know, shake action coming up from the corner to the wing, um, the corner fills, the corner relocations saw that, uh, with a lot with him, like on team USA this summer. And, you know, he was playing in the team, the number 15 Jersey for team USA. And like, I just, they kind of used him like a, like a Olympic mellow, you know, like kind of like the, <laughs> the floor spacer type. And I, I really, I was really quite pleased with him in that role. And I think that's like 
largely you would have just seen like a scaled up version of that if he had gone to Duke. You know, he would have played more and had probably more usage. But I, I just think that would have been interesting. And I think with, with Baldwin, there are questions of scalability after we've seen him, you know, kind of struggle with having uh, you know, a fair amount of uh, on-ball usage and reps this season, over 28% usage. Um, and again, you rattle right. off some of the shooting numbers, you know, some a little bit encouraging, some less so. Um, I like the pick and pop upside. Um, and so I think that's really a place for him to like make hay in the NBA is like some of that that pick and pop shooting that he brings. If he if the Hornets were, were to backslide into the late lottery and Baldwin Jr. somehow fell like, Baldwin, I think, is the one guy that we're going to discuss today that maybe has a chance of of being on the Hornets' radar. Um, I, I, I would agree. I think may, I mean, maybe you can squint and say, like, if the Hornets fell enough and maybe if Matherin or Davis fell, whatever. But I think he's the one guy that possibly could fit. Um, and I kind of like that pick-and-pop ability, you know, playing it with LaMelo. We see how dangerous that can be. Um with PJ Washington um, or, or, or with miles bridges or Gordon Hayward. But I really like his like off ball screen usage, uh, how he works defenders. He can set them up, fade screens, and he can use that as a way to get to his pull up jumper. Um, He's developed. and has been for a while. Like this is clearly a prospect that even before he arrived on campus had lots of reps coming off of screens and shooting jump shots. And so I think the footwork's good. The shot prep, all very good. Um, and he can bomb over the top of a closeout with that high release point. You saw that against Colorado and Jabari Walker when he's shooting, you know, off the catch, off some previously generated um, advantage. And I do think it's important to remember, like, there's just there's only so much defenders, even like NBA defenders, who are in the the 99th percentile in terms of like skill and length and athleticism and all of that stuff. There's only so much those guys can do with a 6'10 player that's an elite shooter coming off movement and pin downs. Think about how much yeah. trouble Davis Bertans gives to, and I know Bertans is like a DH, like he doesn't play any defense. And when the Hornets played the wizards a couple, like a week or two ago, he had some just like, I mean, <laughs> watching him like chase the ball, chase things off the ball was just like a, a you know, a cat chasing a you know, laser pointer. It was, uh, <laughs> but, um, but just think about how much trouble Bertans poses to like to uh, opposing defenses, and and I know Bertans is like a special shooter, but I think maybe the hope is that Baldwin can be with that size can also be an elite catch and shoot off movement three point shooter. And even a year ago, that was sort of like one of the things I thought that was super interesting about uh, Virginia and Jay Huff was how they were using he and Sam Hauser together with their middle third inside triangle offense. And that was a lot of a six, eight setting screens for a seven, one guy. And those guys coming off down screens or fading off down screens and, and looking for catch and shoot threes. And that was really tough for teams to defend. So I don't know. I just think there's only so much teams can do with a guy that is that size coming off a screen, curling off a screen, fading off a pin down, uh, coming off a flare. Like it's just hard to bother their shots when they, when they have that much size. So that's ultimately what I think is like pretty special about Baldwin. And again, I think that pairing that with his, um, with, I think the defense that's going to be passable. I don't, I don't know. It's like, I don't necessarily see him as like a, uh, you know, a franchise type guy or, or maybe even like a cornerstone type guy, but certainly a, a player that can be, 
featured in an offense? I really didn't have any further major thoughts on Baldwin Jr. I think I would kind of just conclude with Baldwin Jr. that, number one, I hope we get to see him again. Um, Obviously, we touched on some of the injuries he's been having this season. He's missed the last two games, and it wouldn't be like probably a massive shock to see them shut down a guy like Baldwin Jr. who does have a little bit of injury history who is going to most likely, even with his kind of subpar college performance thus far, still be a lottery pick or a top 15 pick. So hopefully we get to see him again because what I really want to drill down on and what me and, and Brian were kind of concluding talking about him with is if you can start to see a bit more um, kind of future optimism or projection on the defensive end with his length and his size and his uh, basketball intelligence – that's where I think it starts to get really interesting with him. I mean, Brian already broke down how it's like, look, if this guy can can be a two-way wing in five years that can play in a playoff series, that's the that's kind of the measuring stick for all these guys. It's and it's it's a lofty stick. Most of the prospects in this draft and in every draft will not achieve that. So trying to identify the ones that can is a difficult but fun process. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. I think we probably diverged pretty good here on Baldwin Jr. I think we're going to bring Spencer out of the bullpen here, and we're going to start on Johnny Davis uh, from the University of Wisconsin, super sophomore that has just made an incredibly massive jump in production and notoriety between his freshman and sophomore year at Wisconsin. 6'5", 200-pound wing that is probably, if not – 
very firmly in the conversation, maybe even the leading favorite for National Player of the Year right now. He's been on an absolute tear against some really good teams um, uh, in, in league games that have just started. So I'll just rattle off a couple of his raw numbers, and we'll start chatting about him. 20, 22 points per game right now, seven rebounds, two, two and a half assists, and a, and a steal and a half. He's shooting 45% from the field. 34% from three on pretty good volume and 82% from the line. And he gets to the line a ton, which is something we'll probably talk about. Um, you know, we'll, we'll just kind of start breaking it down here. Spencer, good to have you. Good to have you in here. And uh, just curious on your, your initial thoughts on Johnny Davis. I know you've gotten to see him a little bit. Yeah. Um, I mean, electric score, <clears throat> you know, really knows yeah. how to play. Um, the game against Purdue was – I mean, you know, if you care about the NBA draft at all, everybody's going to see that film at some point this year. Uh, Go watch really, it. Go watch it. Yeah, I mean, what a game. And the thing that really sticks out most to me about that game for Dave is just the shot, like the t- really tough shot making, you know, to propel Wisconsin. I, you know, I think that this is probably – you know, I'm not deep into my draft scouting yet, but he's got to be one of the most surprising risers, you know, from freshman to sophomore year in terms of this totally. of this draft class. And, I mean, you look at his numbers last year, and they're not, <clears throat> they're not b- bad by any stretch of the imagination, but just the jump he's made as a player carrying the workload that he is, I mean, his usage is almost at 34% <laughs> this year for Wisconsin. So he, he is literally their offense, him and, and the guard Davidson, um, yep. You know, it seems like those two guys are really – they carry all the water. You know, I, <clears throat> with Davis, I, I think what I see and, – and, and I think where you have to start is how much do you really believe this jump right now? You know, because it does seem a little bit anomalous when you look at his freshman season. But I, I think I see a guy who can come off the bench – uh, in the NBA and, and be a, just be a score, right? Be, in a, be a little electric shock, if you will, offensively off the bench. He can get to his spots. He's got a nice mid-range jumper. I would say that his, his handle is okay. It's not great. He needs a ball screen, I think, to, to, to yeah. maneuver to those spots to get into a shot. So I wonder about his one-on-one ability. You know, I, I don't really see him as a, as a creator uh, on the next level. But, you know, again, look at the jump he's made in one season. So, and the last thing <clears throat> that sticks out to me on film with Davis is he does have a hitch. He does kind of have a flying elbow with that jumper. And the numbers back that up to a stretch. I mean, he's only shooting 33% from behind the arc this year. Right. About four and a half attempts a game. So, I think he has some mechanical things uh, to fix and figure out. But <clears throat> when you zoom out, I think he's going to be a really good defensive player or at least a, an above average guarding the one and the two, right? We'll we'll see if he's strong enough to to bump up to three at six five. I doubt it. But he's not going to play himself off the floor defensively. That's for sure. He's gonna he's gonna tie whatever the scheme is together. He's gonna help you on that end. And you know, I just think he's got enough enough ability to score the ball from a catch and shoot and then finding his own shot, you know, perspective that he he probably he probably projects as a rotational NBA player. But you know, I'm seeing some top 10 top five stuff. And I'm not sure that's the kind of guy that I see here. I, I like him. I, I like him. I think he's an NBA player, but I think there's a little bit more downside than maybe he's being talked about because he's off to such a hot start, which is understandable. Yeah. Spencer, I'm, I'm actually with you on that. I am starting to see some of that top five hype 
and I get it. Like I know, I, I he's been unbelievable, and he's and he's been unbelievable against other, you know, college NBA prospects. Like he, like you mentioned, the Purdue game, he was matched up with Jaden Ivey a ton in that game. He he played he played really well in the Iowa game as well. He's matched up against Keegan Murray, who's a guy who's had a lot of kind of uh, he's been shooting up draft boards as well, and he and I think he got the better of that matchup as well. So like I understand the hype; it's justifiable. I think you laid out really well of like a project, like a floor as like a projectional or a projected rotational NBA wing that can hold his water on the defensive side of the floor and has a ton of offensive gifts. He, I, I, I like the point you made about his shooting efficiency. Like he is a really good shooter, but I feel like he's getting lauded as like an elite shot profile. And that's, that's not where he is from an efficiency standpoint right now. 54% true shooting, 49% effective field goal. So, like, these are good numbers, but these are not great shooting numbers. I, I, I'm with you on the defensive thing. I, I think he's much more solid of a defender than people were initially expecting as he's as he's making this kind of offensive explosion uh, at the start of this season. One thing I have noticed about him, I agree with you about the ball screen thing. He's fantastic at rejecting the ball screen. Probably the best guard in the in the in the NCAA right now. I've seen that that can just completely kind of like flummox his defender with with rejecting the ball screen, getting downhill and getting the basket. He's been just just okay. He's been average at finishing around the basket. I think he's also an average athlete, um, but he's creative enough, um, and he you know he's he's kind of got some. Uh, some creativity and some moxie finishing around the basket that makes up for some of his raw athleticism. I do wonder if he will struggle around the basket against NBA rim protectors. I think that's, that's a probable thing. I also wonder if like you, you mentioned the tough shot making, he maybe has the best mid range pull up in, in college basketball right now as well. So to your point about kind of like the sustainability, I, I just wonder the the fact that he's not the most efficient scorer right now and he's making a ton of tough shots like in succession i wonder how long he'll be able to keep all this up but look the guy's fantastic and he absolutely should be in like the top 20 discussion i think that is pretty firm at this point i'm just not quite ready like you are spencer to go into like top 10 top 5 territory um and we may get some thoughts from bg here if he if he if he's here yeah, I like Johnny Davis a lot. I think I'm probably a little higher on him uh, than you guys are. May I'm probably not quite top five with Davis at this point, but I think for me, he's probably pretty safely inside the top seven or eight, at least the top 10. Um, he's been awesome so far this season. He's one of the best guard wing prospects in the draft. Um, turn 19, will turn 20 in February, so still pretty young. We'll be 20 at the time of the draft, but still pretty young for a second year guy. Was also on that Team USA team with uh, with Patrick Baldwin Jr. Didn't really not have like that great of a performance with that team this summer, but it does seem like that experience perhaps you know did did in fact you know boost him. It seems like a lot of guys from that team have come back and been awesome, including Jaden Ivey, Mike Miles at TCU, uh, Chet Holmgren and at Gonzaga. Like that that team was pretty awesome. Um, Really, really Kennedy Chandler at Tennessee. So pretty special bunch. But I would say he's like maybe not like a great, super duper explosive athlete 
um, but he's quick and strong. So I think he's a very functional athlete. He looks more, to me, as someone who saw a couple of Davis games last season, he looks more explosive this year compared to a year ago. He's super sharp with how he plants and changes direction. Um, really, really good with with mixing speeds. Like I, I think that's really, really one of the strengths of his game. And he, uh, like as he's able to apply it to to what he's doing um, on offense, can be on the floor and guard a bunch of position types, at least ones and twos. I think because of his toughness, his energy, his compete level, that he's going to be able, he's going to be willing and capable of guarding guys that are that are taller or longer than him in the NBA has the ability to blow up dribble handoffs. We'll dig when he's the low side um, as a guy's rolling to the basket. We'll look for steals like had and we'll dive for loose balls. Like we'll give his body up, like has all of the sort of like intangible things that you would want um, from hits from big shots from too, a basketball BG, player. Right, in, right in that vein. Yeah, he does. Yeah, absolutely. And then I'd like to just get into just some of the, the offensive creation, starting with the pick and roll stuff. Like, Pretty special, and he can really heat up and, and look for his own offense out of out of pick and roll. Even though Wisconsin isn't like a high volume spread ball screen offense, right? But he's so efficient. The skills are so tight. To me, it feels pretty scalable because of that. Um, and there's just a general ease with how he touches the paint. Even though that first step is like good, not great. And even though he's not as explosive as as one Jaden Ivy or have as much burst as someone like Jaden Ivy. Um, but he does touch the paint and he can score out of those looks in a bunch of different ways and he can make passes and reads out of those looks in a bunch of different ways. So, and that's what you want to see with guard prospects is like how easily do they touch the paint? How easily do they create advantage? And he does a really good job of that. Um, has shown deep pull up range too. It's not all mid range. You know, if you do go under a ball screen, he can lift up and, and hit from deep. And I do think that's one of the reasons why some of the like, you know, the three-point percentage is like, okay, not great. Like, he takes a, a fair amount, more than someone like Ben Matherin or Benedict Matherin, who we're going to talk about in a little bit here. He takes more sort of like off-the-dribble looks, more out of pick and roll. Um, this was certainly going to get brought up at some point in time. Lee, I've seen you tweet about this. I've seen a lot of people note this as well. He's so good at rejecting screens out of the pick So and roll. good. He's just ridiculous. The crossover rejections right into a downhill drive or a rhythm jumper. And there are some other he guys. Just, that, he leaves. He just leaves guys standing just still. Blows by them. And there's some yeah. other guys who are good at doing this. Like uh, even in covering the ACC this year, like I think Wendell Moore Jr., Darion Sebron, mm-hmm. Caleb Love have all been pretty good at rejecting screens. Um, Davis is a level above those guys, and and really Love just wants to get to his pull up shot off the rejection, and Sebron really just wants to get downhill. It's really only someone like Wendell Moore or Alondis Williams at Wake Forest that are kind of capable of going anywhere after that rejection. But also, like he has, he'll do the thing too. Like it's not just that you. When people think of like a, a ball screen rejection, I think they think of right-handed dribbler with a screen to his right, and he crosses over left and gets downhill and like drives baseline left. But man, Davis has all of these little tricks, and his craft is just so good. Like he'll do the behind the back, like. He'll dribble right, stop on a dime, go behind his back to his left hand and just leave, not just like the guy guarding him in the dust, like leave that defender like moving in the wrong direction. Um, and it's just, it looks mean to see him do it. But I, so I've been, I've been very impressed with how he's used his skill to set up those rejections, a shoulder fake in the direction of the screen, a rip through, and then boom, he's gone in the opposite direction. Um, and he even has the added layer of being able to catch 
uh, the on-ball defender off guard. Like Davis will look now like he's setting up for a screen rejection because guys, are, this is on film now, right? Like if, if we're talking about yeah. this, then every coaching yeah. staff in the Big Ten is telling them he wants to reject this screen and do blah, blah, blah. Um, but I feel like and you could even see him like the because he has these combo moves and because he's such a, a a smart, crafty player, like he'll now look like he's setting up to reject and then he'll cross back over, use a hesitation dribble and then actually use the screen. <laughs> like it's just nasty, man. Um, and he's really he's really wired to score. But I think the flashes as a passer and a playmaker setting guys up, getting guys easy catch-and-shoot looks, I think is pretty good. I think some of the flashes have been pretty appealing with that. And he had one pass in the Purdue game where like, he came off a little dribble handoff. Um, Chase defender went under the screen as they were going right. Wisconsin flipped the screen, and he dribbled back left. This time, the Chase defender um, went over the screen, and Zach Eady came up to the level. So all of a sudden, Purdue's putting two guys on the ball. The Wisconsin center rolled. But like... Uh, you know, Davis has two guys on top of him, including a seven, four guy, a guy that's a foot taller than him directly in front of him. And there are weak side helpers below the play, below the action. And Davis threw, who was a high school quarterback through this pass, just a perfect pass, you know, center dives Davis, but throws him like, I wouldn't say it was like a lob, but he put a little air underneath it and just threw this guy open into space in a spot where only the center could catch it and finish it. Um, and I think you see that 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 passing touch also show up with his sh- shooting touch. Like so many of his hits inside of 15 feet that come off these ball screens or these isolation looks, um, the touch is just so good. You see it with the layup package. You see it with his ability to connect on floaters and runners and pull up jumpers. Mm-hmm. Like it's just really really good. So, anyways, I I like Davis. I think he is one of the guys that, outside of the true like top prospects in this draft, has has some equity or has the ability to perhaps become a guy that is like a, you know, maybe not like a top option of an NBA offense, but is a guy that can carry an offense, could carry a bench offense, could carry hybrid lineups. Do you know what I mean? Could be a guy that, again, that you definitely can be on the court in a playoff game because he's a dog on defense and he competes, but also he can shoot. The shot versatility is good and he can get his own shot as well. So, I just like him as the guy that could could eventually be a guy that, yeah, is like a second or a third option on a team. I think he has that ability in his game. Um, so, yeah, I, I really, really like Johnny Davis, and um, it's been a ton of fun to to watch him so far this season. Yeah, I'll just make a couple quick points. That you, that was great on Davis, Brian. And you, you may have even convinced me to, to move him up a little bit here. Um, quick points. Number one, I was going to piggyback off your – your point about uh, his his kind of flashes of passing efficiency, nineteen um, percent assist nineteen assist percentage, and only a eight point nine turnover percentage. So he's got a pretty good discrepancy there from like creating for others and taking care of the ball. So I, I think I think that's certainly there. He he is fantastic in the pick and roll. Yeah. And, and 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 he he shoulders a massive offensive like playmaking load for Wisconsin too. Mm-hmm. I mean Davidson can put it on the floor a little bit, but Davidson really wants to get you know he really wants to make shots. Yeah, come space. off come yeah. off down screens and shoot. Yeah, totally. Yeah, he hit a massive. Uh, he, Davidson hit a massive three late in that Purdue game. Kind right. of a staggered double yeah, away double, screen, double throwback action. Yeah, yes, it was, it was and uh, was wide open and banged it in. 
Oh, and, and one other play I was going to highlight. I mean, he's just such a cerebral, intelligent offensive player. Early in the second half against Purdue, uh, which Wisconsin was really good in that first half. Purdue was at home. They started making a run. Ivy got hot early in the second half. They went on like a 7 or 9-0 run. Davis um, is getting denied by Ivy kind of on the right wing. Back cuts Ivy, completely loses him. Gets gets downhill into the lane and kind of throws one of these wraparound passes against a, a rotating rim protector. I think he dumped it off to like Ethan Morton or something for a layup. But it was just a, it was one of those like crowd quieting plays. It was just like, let's all calm down. I'm Johnny Davis. I'm gonna take care of things. We're gonna be fine. <laughs> kind of like that the universal blood type that that you kind of alluded to. Like, you know, he may not be. Um, the most explosive guy, but he can probably play alongside just about any other backcourt mate because he can, he can space the floor with his shooting, but he can also, he can also run a pick and roll. He can be a second side creator. He can kind of like manage an offense, I think. Um, so that's, that's really attractive. Um, and then the other thing that, that I mentioned quickly, but just wanted to reiterate, like, Dude gets the free throw line like a madman too, um, which is something I always like to see in guard prospects. You know, Cam Thomas was a guy last year that just got to the free throw line at will and and has had some really good moments in his in his rookie year. And then the last point I was going to make on Tom or on Davis, sorry, um, you know, I I, obviously you start hearing like, oh my gosh, this guy's going nuts. I'm like, okay, I got to sit down and watch a couple games. And so and so of course I did and. As I'm watching him, I keep thinking in my head, like, he's not how's he gonna how's he just gonna keep blowing by defenders? He just keeps at will getting by guys and it doesn't it's not a Jaden not like you I think you said it, right? Like it's not a Jaden Ivy thing. He just doesn't like put like turn on the boosters and just blast by. But he's so good at the subtle change of speed, the herky jerkiness. We already talked about the rejection stuff. So um, I just love like the way he essentially just kind of like just deceives defenders with the way he starts and stops and all that type of stuff. So yeah, special offensive player and and like you said, competes on D. Spencer, you got any parting thoughts on Davis? Yeah, just on the you know average athleticism, maybe slightly above. So you wonder how does he keep doing this? I think that's a great point. I mean, his yeah, footwork's yeah. phenomenal. Number one and two, his strides. In, the, in and around the painted area to get to yeah. his spot, to get, like Brian was saying, to get to that layup package. like And great point about him being a high school quarterback. I'm sorry. I don't think I'm reaching too deep into the bag. Like, the kid has awesome footwork, and some of that was mm-hmm. probably picked up playing football. Um, I mean, you can just tell. And he's not a bad athlete by any stretch of the imagination. But when you talk about – this guy we're about to talk about next, Matherin, and a guy like Ivy, like he's not even in the he's not in the same galaxy athletically as those guys. But because he's such a cerebral player, you can tell he sees a lot of things before they happen, and in his footwork, allow him to get to his spots uh, pretty regularly. Yeah, good good layout, BG. I think you probably <laughs> that was great. convinced me to raise him up on the board, yeah. or at least watch him a little more closely. I like him a lot. I just. I wonder if the ceiling's a little lower than what we've seen so far. But, I mean, yeah. the other thing, playing in the Big Ten, I mean, somebody brought it up earlier, but, like, this is the best competition. Maybe the SEC is the best conference this year. I don't know. But, like, he has played awesome games against some of the best teams in the country. I mean, I think Purdue might be, like, the best team in the country. Uh, certainly, like, 
with future really NBA players, you know, and he totally Matt, showed out. Matt, Matt Painter had to take Jade, like Jaden Ivy played a lot on Johnny Davis in the first half. And part of it was like Ivy got in foul trouble and just like side, side note, Matt Painter is one of the best coaches in the country. Like few yeah. guys scheme offense better than that guy. Can you play somebody in the first half when they have two fouls? Like, could you please do that? Actually? Like, <laughs> I don't know why Jaden Ivy has to sit with a towel on his head for 12 minutes of game time <laughs> because he picked up a stupid reach and foul. And like, but that is, but Lee, you brought up Johnny Davis. He draws over six fouls per 40 minutes this season. Yeah. So there is, that's probably in the second Impressive. half while you saw, you know, Ivy moving around and guarding some of the lower usage wow. options for Wisconsin. But a couple other things I'd like to touch on with Davis about the one-on-one creation. And some of this I hit on with the pick and roll stuff, but a few other thoughts I have here. He creates space easily, like has a really nice step back jumper, Right. And I think you see it most from the mid from the mid range area. Like we've referenced his sort of like uh, his fondness for that. He's shooting a, a good number from the mid range, with the majority of those coming unassisted. But yeah, he's over forty percent from the mid range this year, with eighty five percent of his makes from mid range unassisted. He's shooting over sixty three percent at the rim with um with only forty percent of those shots assisted, and he's shooting thirty four percent on threes with forty percent of his three point makes unassisted so far this year. So there's that shot creation ability. I think he's yep. got a pretty good first step. Obviously, it's not like the most explosive first step you're going to see with draft prospects this year, but I think it's pretty darn good. And it certainly, again, I think in general, he just looks more athletic and explosive than he did a year ago. But the reason why I do think he's able to keep beating guys, despite the fact that he doesn't have this like just nuclear athleticism, is because he is so technically sound. Like the shot prep the footwork, the ball fakes, the head fakes, the shoulder fakes, the the craft, the deception. It's so great ball good. fake. The, great ball fake. The shot fake, it just he, and he just seamlessly transitions, you know, you know, head fake on the perimeter on a hard closeout, one, two dribble, pull up, bang. Like he just does that with ease and he again gets that soft uh, shooting touch again. But just so technically sound. And we do see that as well with his combination moves. And we touched on this with his ability to reject and counter those rejections, but just so good stopping at a dime, being under control when he does that. And then he can move in any direction once he starts, stops from there. He can hit a he can hit a leaner. He can hit a floater. He can hit a fadeaway. He just like the the entire court is open to him, even when he's already picked up his dribble. Very impressive. And he just exploits whatever coverage a defense throws at him. Like, give him some. You can't cover everything. You can't take everything away unless you just trap him. And I think Purdue probably should have done that as he was like melting their building down in the second half. (laughs) But like, unless you just hard trap him or double him and get the ball out of his hands, then like he's just going to take whatever holes there and, and, and look for points from it. I really like that mid post isolation game of his. You see Wisconsin run a lot of chin action and then they'll filter Davis through to the weak side on that left side. So it's opened up to his right hand and just let him go to work. And I think he even has some nice post-up abilities and he just uses his ass to clear out space. And then he gets to those shot fakes to keep defenders off balance. He gets a lot of fouls by doing that stuff, just like a possession that's dead and going nowhere. And all of a sudden Davis will run into the post and and pick up a foul and get to the line. And he's shooting above 80% from the line this year. But I just love how he'll flow into those post-ups. Like it looks like he's like sometimes it'll look like Davis is just like casually cutting through the lane and then he'll just smash into a defender. Sit down. Yeah. And be like, give me the, give me the bleeping ball and then go to work. So (laughs) 
Um, and yeah, and he can and off those post touches when he still has his dribble, like he's got the like the almost unblockable like baseline fadeaway jumper when he spins and goes baseline, but he can just he can move in a bunch of different directions from there too. So I just I see him as a, a very um, efficient and refined and complete offensive guard. He reminds me of someone that's seen like a lot of Bradley Beal tape. Like that's kind of like the vibe mm. I get from him at times. Um, is maybe I get a little bit of uh, a guy y'all are both into. I get a little bit of Brogdon vibes. Yeah, I get that too. Like the the burrowing drive game, you know, where you're mm-hmm. like, okay, this guy isn't the fastest guy out on the court, but he, he gets downhill every time we run a ball screen for him. Like, how does he do it? And so yeah, that's a that's a great that's a good comp too. Um, and both those guys are you know, to varying degrees, just phenomenal NBA players too. So totally. Um, anyways, I, I'm in, I'm in on Davis, even though I'm probably not like in like the, you know, the people that are I, like, we're like a couple more of these games away from people putting him above like uh, Ivy and stuff like that. <laughs> I just like, I can't get there, you know, but, but he's, he's in the next tier. Um, he's probably like in the third tier as far as prospects go for me in this draft. And, and yeah, I really do like uh, uh, Johnny B ball a lot. That's interesting because I wasn't sure, but I agree. Like I would not have him above Ivy at this point either. Um, and Ivy hopefully is a guy we'll do on a future pod. I'm sure. sure uh, I guess the last, the, for me at least, the very last thing is like none of us see. Uh, there's no, pretty much no chance he's going to be available for the Hornets. Don't would y'all would y'all agree? I, I don't. I don't. I don't see it. But uh, especially if he keeps playing like this. But right. um. But you never know. I think if Charlotte fell to fell into the lottery and was picking like thirteenth or fourteenth or something like that, yeah, I think there's like a a slim but non-zero chance he's he's there. Right. Um, right. I mean, uh, that would be that would be awesome. <laughs> he's he's super oh, good. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't. I, it seems highly unlikely, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, it, he's just one of those guys. I mean, he's off to such a hot start. He's going to play a tough schedule for the rest of the year in the Big Ten. I mean, it's somebody I'm going to watch super, super closely to see if he can sustain this. But yeah, Charlotte picking where they are right now, you just you can't imagine. Yeah, that yeah. Davis would be there. Maybe this next guy. But I was going to say, should we should we yeah. move on? Let's flip the switch. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and just, just bring yeah, this, bring this in here. Why not? Um, yeah, this is a, a guy we're going to talk about Benedict Matherin, um, sophomore two guard scoring guard for Arizona, uh, turned 19, uh, about six months ago in, excuse me, in July, excuse me. This guy was, uh, Matherin is a player that I wanted him. I kind of wanted him to come out last year in 2021, uh, I would have given him a first round grade a year ago. And he's the type of guy that if I had been a team drafting in like the twenties a year ago, because you see him now and like Matherin's getting hype as like a top 10 guy, I would have tried to have convinced him to come out a year ago. Like if I, if I worked in, if I was a front office type for a, a team drafting 22 or 23 last year, I would said, we're going to take you, man, you should come out. Um, if you fall to this far, we're we're definitely taking you. And then all of a sudden, you get this guy in your system. It's the it's the the pre drafting of a player. This is something that yep. PD Webb has talked about a lot. We discussed it with uh, JT Thor even before the Hornets drafted Thor uh, last year when when Richie and I did a pod on Thor. This is something I brought up. Um, and so Matherin is a guy that I would have been really intrigued by doing that because he will also would have been yeah he would have been you know turning nineteen right around the draft last summer, but. 
All right, I'll hop into Matherin and talk about his athleticism. And he's off to an awesome start. This Arizona team is is really one of the best teams and best watches in the country. They kind of look like an NBA team with the with the, with the pull up shooting guard, the two big guys, one of whom is a playmaker in Tabellis, the the offensive connector in Dalen Terry, and then like the high wattage you know scoring guard uh, in in Ben Matherin. Um, athletically, straight line speed, very good. I feel like you see that frequently when Arizona is in transition and he'll just like, he's like flying up the side of a court, like a wide out and, you know, Dale and Terry or, or, or Kerr hit him with an outlet pass and he's off to the races for a finish. Um, I really like how he runs the lane in transition. looks like a, yeah, like a wide out, you know, running a fly pattern up the, up the, up the hash. Um, really good lift on his jumper. It's just explosive lift on that jump shot. Um, when he has to have it. And and that's something I'll touch on a little bit more uh, later. But explosive cutter, um, really one of the best just like movers in the draft class. And I would have said that about 2021 as well. Excellent body movement. This guy just like floats around the court. Like he just has that air to him, um, at least when he's moving without the basketball. And again, that's something we can get into uh, a little bit more. NBA, NBA frame too, just like all right, like right now. Yeah, yeah. And Ben Matt, he's from Canada, developed at the the NBA uh, Latin America uh, Academy. And yeah, he's, he, look, I thought he was really, really good and should have played more for Arizona last year. Um, I, I got, he, he's got that kind of probably landed on my radar, probably about a, probably like last December, 2020 or Jan, 2021. I started watching him then. And, and kind of fell in love. So um, anyways, those are just general thoughts on Mather and athleticism. I'll open up the floor. Spencer Lee, one of you guys get in here and, and, and give me uh, give me some, some, some takes on Matherin. Well, I mean, you mentioned what sticks out most to me is watching him in transition. You know, he, he is going to blow away scouts and, and, and a, a lot of guys doing a, you know, one on zero workout, but watching him move, catch the ball, shoot those pull up, catch and shoot pull ups and transition three. I mean, it's so effortless for him. You brought up how much lift he gets on the jump shot. He has that Terry Rozier in transition catch. Yep. He, he leaves his feet and then lands like five feet above where he, in yep. front of where he left. I mean, yep. it's just like incredible yep. athlete. Um, I mean, he's a nuclear athlete to me at, at his position. I mean, it, vertically, I think he's super, super impressive. I mean, obviously he's, He's an impressive dunker. Um, you brought up the straight line speed. I mean, I think he's pretty much a bulletproof, like top 15 prospect in this draft, in yeah. most drafts, honestly, because he's proven that he's a shooter. And not only that, I mean, he's taking like 170 some odd three point shots at Arizona in, in about not even a year and a half. And he's a 40% three point shooter. Um, you know, but he can do it in a multitude of ways. I think we see it more in the catch and shoot. But I've been impressed. I, I thought mm-hmm. last year's freshman season, from looking at the tape, he was a good shooter last year. But it's almost like you had to wind him up. Um, it, you know, the, the release wasn't real quick. I think he's cleaned it up a lot, uh, a lot, a lot. Like it looks a, much quicker this year. He can get in, into it easier. Um, you know, I think defenders closing out are less of an issue for him this year. Or so. I think he's so good of a shooter. I think that his physical profile, his athleticism, give him the chance to be a really good defender in the NBA. I, I wonder about his IQ still defensively and, and just playing the game in general. He does some things really, really good, but he's not a guy like Johnny Davis who's just going to figure it out on the fly. 
right? He's not there yet in his development. So right now, I think he's a really good, he projects as a really good three and D kind of player in the NBA. And even if the D doesn't come around, you know, he's going to be a lights out shooter. If the D does come around and he develops anything off the bounce from a creation standpoint, I mean, he's, I think he's got the ceiling to be like a second cog kind of guy in a good NBA offense, probably more as a third, third cog or a guy coming off the bench. But we, you know, because I think Davis and Matherin, like watching those two, they're different players. Obviously, they're different physical profiles. They're going to play different roles in the NBA. But I do think they're interesting to play against each other. Um, and and so I I do think the guy like Matherin probably has a higher ceiling uh, than than a guy like Davis. But he's but he's got a long ways to go from an IQ perspective. Yeah. Um... So, okay, a few points here um, with Ben Matherin. Um, I'm, I'm kind of like you, BG. I would have had a first-round grade on him if he came out last year. He honestly probably would have ended up even in, like, my top 20 to 25 yeah, yeah. prospects in, yeah. in last year's draft. Um, even though, like you said, he didn't always get um, maybe the opportunities you would have liked to see him get on, on last year's Arizona team. Every time he was in the game, good things happened. Mm-hmm. Um you know, the other thing is like Spencer. You, I think you made a great point. Like he's a proven, proven shooter. I also agree that he's a bulletproof top fifteen pick this year. I, I think he's going to end up being a top ten pick when it's all said and done. I just think he has such a attractive profile um, as a guy who's NBA ready frame, strong as an ox, run the runs the floor, like Brian pointed out. Um, He's finishing around the basket really effectively right now too this season. Obviously, he's he's kind of made his name as a shooter, um, but when he gets guys running at him, he is effective enough to put it on the floor a couple times and finish at the basket with his vertical athleticism. I think he's also a pretty good cutter. You know, Arizona will run him kind of off yes. these like yes. pseudo pseudo flex cuts or like back screens down to the block, and he does a really good job of like kind of selling it in a way like setting up his mm-hmm. defender and then just like taking off on that flex or backdoor cut and finishing either like a two-hand dunk or a little reverse layup around the rim um and then there are there are times when benedict will just it will just take over a game offensively for arizona like one game really st- i mean the tennessee game which a lot of people have probably watched tennessee was fantastic in that game and ended, and ended up winning that game they were up by 20 at one point and Matherin late in the first half and early in the second half had a stretch where he literally just pretty much decided that Arizona was not going to get blown out in this game and just absolutely took over offensively. It was really impressive to watch doing it in a variety of ways. Um, And then, and Spencer totally agree with your point about like, the fluidity here for him is probably whatever the creation off the bounce ends up, ends up becoming. I don't think right now he has a, like he doesn't have like an over or an above average ability necessarily to create for others or like constantly put lane and like lane and rim pressure on. Um, But if any of that materializes in like a meaningful way, then he's just like, big big time see like like no no cap on his potential essentially so that's where it really comes down to me and uh the last thing i'll mention is like 
you know, I mean, just a really impressive efficiency number, 63% true shooting right now this mm-hmm. season. And all the, the, like the general defensive numbers look good too. He, he, he defends the pick and roll pretty well and, uh, and could even protect the basket a little bit at times. Yeah. The, um, you know, you mentioned his, his off ball cutting and I'm going to touch more on that in a second, but like both this season playing for Tommy Lloyd and last season playing for, Sean Miller, both of those teams ran designed actions to get Batherin back cutting to the hoop. Uh, Arizona yep. had, had like a zone lob play they ran for him. And in the Tennessee game, they had Matherin come across the Iverson screens, then go off like a back rip screen and then look for the lob on that. So yeah, he can go up and catch a lob and he's the kind of guy you, you want to get moving and you can really design those types of actions for. Um, but it is the movement and his fluidity as an off-ball shooter and score, that that to me is like the big sell right now because I don't think – I think a lot of the on-ball stuff is is like a little – can be a little underwhelming. Um, he has the ability to get hot as a scorer, and as Lee said, like when he gets hot, look out. Um, he moves so well without the ball and shoots off the catch. And like I said this earlier, but he just rockets off the floor when he comes off a pin-down looking yeah. to shoot. His shot prep, footwork – both excellent gets squared like really good he's a right-handed player really good moving to his left um and he just lifts up above the chase defender knows how to set guys up read coverages you know he'll start a possession off ball and sometimes you know arizona will run these sort of like design chicago actions for him right so like in theory he should be coming off a down screen and into a dribble handoff and some five outlook however if that chase defender is like top side in fighting over and trying to, you know, be in a position of denial to get between him and the handoff, Matherin will just back cut and fade to the corner and he'll backpedal mm-hmm. and catch and shoot. And like he just again, that that off ball movement is is pretty darn good. Um in general, I just think it's it's just advanced and I, I like what I've seen from it. I think that's something as we've seen, Spencer mentioned Terry Rozier. I actually think that's kind of an interesting comp for for Matherin. Um but we've seen what you can do with a guy like that in offense and how good they can be for your half-court offense. And um, look, we saw that plenty last season, but I do think what's really been cool is to see like Tommy Lloyd shows up from Gonzaga after being Mark Few's right-hand man for you know decades or whatever. And it's been awesome to see some of these old Gonzaga sets that they would run for Corey Kispert, and now they're using uh-huh. it for, for Matherin. Like, there's this one baseline out of bounds play that's just like Matherin starts low on the block, then comes off staggered screens out of like a, a box set look. And I mean, yeah, Corey Kispert used to kill teams in the West Coast Conference on that, uh-huh. and, and now Matherin's doing it in the Pac-12. Um, I want us to think about how we discussed James Booknight before the 2021 draft, even before we knew that he was coming to Charlotte. And I think some people projected Book Knight as like a microwave score type who would handle the ball a lot. And to to be fair, those people might be right. And that's also sort of how Charlotte has used him in terms of summer league and like mm-hmm. garbage time minutes at the end of the game, right? Um, however, even before the draft and, and still to this to this point now, I see or saw book night as an off ball mover a guy you run off screens you use as a ghost screener you use as a cutter he's a lob guy after timeouts they help grease the wheels offensively for your other like primary guys you know in, in charlotte's case that would be Lamella ball and, and miles bridges um and i for me for right now that's the context that i think is right to think about with matherin i'm not writing off the ability to play with the basketball and maybe be a primary guy on a bench unit or a hybrid lineup but for right now I like the thought of him as a movement shooter. 
and he's got counters. Like he's not just a pure catch and shoot guy. Like he can attack a closeout. He can finish at the rim. I think he uses his shoulders really well, and particularly like mm-hmm. he has good shoulder height. He dips that left shoulder when he's driving to his right, gets it under the shoulder of the closeout defender, um, and uses that to get to the rim or, or get to his pull up. And has like a nice sort of like collection of funky off dribble shots to get to pull ups, leaners, shots from different angles, good touch. And um, he's just a long strider with that first step too. Like I don't think he has like an incredible first step in the half court, but he covers ground with it, which um, which I like. And anyways, I just like to just for real quickly here continue with some of the on ball creation stuff. I think he struggles to get into gaps with his handle. Like definitely has moments, mm-hmm. um, but for me that's sort of a hang up with Matherin. Um, he can do some stuff with the ball. Like he's got uh, kind of like wipeout moves. Like I don't think he does a great job like getting skinny and getting into gaps. But in that Tennessee game that that Lee referenced, he had one possession where like he caught the ball kind of like in the mid post, and he dribbled left once and then spun baseline and just completely like ditched the guy that was in front of him. It was just a <laughs> it was a wipeout move, you know. Um, but I think for the most part, he needs room and space to kind of get into his bag a little bit has even has a little mini stutter rip that you see so many of these wing guys have before launching yep. into an ISO drive. I like that. Um, I guess my question is, and you guys can, you guys can even answer this. Like, is he a guy that creates advantage at the next level? Like with the basketball in his hands? I think that's kind of the question with him. Um, I think either way, he's a good prospect. Like, I think he can be a valuable offensive piece, even if the answer to that question is definitively no, this guy does not create advantage with the basketball in his hands. Like, I don't think Terry Rozier, I know Spencer brought him up, but I've got this in my notes too. Like, I don't think Terry Rozier is like a big time advantage creator with the basketball for Charlotte, right? Uh, yet he's still an incredibly impactful offensive player because he he has some some secondary creation and, and the movement shooting and the ghost screens and all of the stuff you can do with him. And I think so. I think Matherin can be a, a real, real weapon. Um, doesn't really do much out of the pick and roll at this point. Has very few pick and roll reps this season. Uh, Matherin himself, according to Synergy, has used just 27 pick and roll possessions. And they've he's played 13 games, so you know, two per game. Seven of 19 shooting. Almost all of those are dribble jump shots. So, like, not really pressuring the rim out of the pick and roll. Um, and even I think even when he gets a switch out of the ball screen, he looks more comfortable getting to a step back jumper, in my opinion, as opposed yes. to like getting downhill. He looks for that almost every time, yep. even with the big, even yep. with the big switched out. Yeah, yeah. And you saw that in the Tennessee game and in the Illinois game where he was awesome in too. But like he got Kofi Coburn on a switch at one point in that game and tried to drive right. And it was like he tripped over a piece of wire that was like on the court. In front of him. Like he just like, he fell and turned the ball over and it was like, that's not a, that's not a great look. And that's just something that like, I don't know, this is not a fair comparison. It's just like one possession, but it's like Johnny Davis is going to, is going to cook that guy. Right. You know right, what I mean? Like right. he's going to, he's going to isolate and go to work against the big guy and get to whatever spot he wants to on the court. Um, and to that point, uh, Matherin shooting 71% at the rim, according to Bart Torvik. That's great, right? But 60% of his rim field goals are assisted. Uh, yeah. Big difference compared to Davis, who's shooting 63% at the rim. I mentioned this number earlier, but 60% of his rim field goal attempts unassisted. As far as Matherin's three-point shooting goes, 90% of his threes this year have been assisted. Uh, 60% of Davis's three-point makes have uh, have been assisted. So for me, for Matherin to get it done, it's off screens, it's off handoffs, it's off cuts, it's off second side actions, attacking closeouts, and obviously in transition. 
Yeah, and I think that that's the way, you know, I think like one way to think about this question you're proposing is he's so good as a movement shooter moving off the ball right now, especially considering where he's picked. Let's pretend it's 10 to 15. Like that team is not Detroit or Orlando. That team is going to try to be, they're going to try to tap into those skills that he's proven um, to a, to a pretty high level, tap into those immediately. So, you know, unless he comes out and he's, I don't know, Devin Booker in Kentucky, right? Like he wasn't used on the Mm -hmm. ball out of Kentucky. Mm -hmm. Everyone knew he was a lights out shooter. The form looked beautiful the numbers bared it out he gets to phoenix he's such an electric score at first as a jump shooter that he gets more reps on the ball and now he's devin booker right like that yeah, that's yeah. matherin's way to get to that kind of players that he's such a good score mostly as a movement score off the ball that that those reps follow on the ball but i totally agree with you brian like he he's been such a high level guy off the ball that you have to you have to be, you know expect the team to tap into that um, unless it's a really, really bad team that's just going to give him reps on the ball <laughs> yeah. for the sake of it. But, yeah, you know, that that's an unhealthy ecosystem that, that you know, is being developed there. So I think you're dead on. And, look, I, I just – I like Matherin a lot, again, to tie a bow on it for me because he's proven to be a really, really high-level shooter as a really high-level athlete at six seven, who's probably a two guard like that. That's an NBA two guard right there. Yeah, you know? yeah. I like the um with Mather, and you see the Jr. Smith comparison made a lot too, and and I kind of mm. like that that one for him. And I think Spencer, you touched on his defense earlier. Like that's I think where like the defensive side of the floor like comes into play too. Um, I find Matherin to be like a, a little underwhelming, prone to ball watching, missed assignments, routinely gets back cut. Um. You know, the closeouts aren't very good. I think they're pretty sloppy. Doesn't chop his feet. Um, I feel like he sees things happening on that side when he's like weak side covering like a shooter on the pick and roll. I think he sees like the kick out pass like a quarter of a second, half second too late. And then he doesn't close out well. Um, and so guys can can drive by him. Has moments at the point of attack. But at this stage, I don't think he's a very good point of attack defender. But can sit in a stance can heat things up, use his quick hands, those hand strikes, hand stings to get steals or make things frenetic. Um, so I don't think it's like out of the question there because we've touched on his frame and his athleticism, but that is something that is like uh, a little, a little concerning um, as far as like ultimately yeah. like where he settles in at. But Spencer, you've, you've mentioned this, I think twice now, like he is cut from the cloth of like explosive NBA scoring guard and he's, he's wired yeah. to hit threes and he can dunk. So yeah, there's like there's a role for him in the NBA no matter what. Um, it's just I'll be curious to see like ultimately where that lands. And it would be, we talked about this with Patrick Baldwin Jr. Lee. Like, how do you think? Um, maybe this is unfair to do, but like, how do you think Matherin would do in a situation that's similar to say Darion Sebron at NC State or Patrick Baldwin Jr. at Milwaukee, where? all of a sudden he has a more like heliocentric role as opposed to being the guy that gets to like run in transitions with the number one transition offense in college <laughs> basketball and gets to play with Kirk Lisa and Dalen Terry, who's an excellent connector and a guy that can, you know, kind of make life easier for Matherin at times. I just context is a little important, but how do you think he would excel or how, how well do you think he would do in, in that type of role at that, at this stage? Yeah, I mean, I think him and uh, him and Sebron would be like kind of an awesome combo, actually. They would. They would pair uh, together very like they nicely. Would, they yes. would complement yeah. each other incredibly well. But I, yes. like your point is well taken. I do think 
I mean, whether whether we're talking about Book Night or Cole Anthony or you know, like like context is just so incredibly important. So Matherin's definitely in he's in a great situation. Um for sure. I wouldn't call like Chris DeKerr is not like a massive breakdown guy by any means, but he's a good connector. He obviously shoots the ball really well. Yes. Um but Matherin just I think he benefits from like the collective sum of the parts that Arizona is more than he does like from this fantastic setup guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think last year, like Akinjo was a really nice setup guy for Arizona at the point yes. of attack. I also agree. Like Brian, you kind of alluded to it. Like Matherin when determined can have some really nice on ball flashes. Um, but it just seems like he almost has to have uh, like something to set him off. Um, and the inconsistency is a little concerning. Yeah. Um, but but like you both guys said, like there's a profile here of a successful rotational wing that's just kind of sitting right there, and it's the ancillary stuff that'll either be limitations for him, or they will be like the gravy on top that makes him uh, like a fringe all star guy. Yeah, yeah, we do need to do at some point. You mentioned to Ken Joe, we need to do a Baylor episode at some point and, and do touch on Kendall Brown and Ken Joe and. Jeremy Sohan. Well, and 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 these were kind of like my like my final thought. Um, and you guys get in yours before we get out of here. But my final thought was like, uh, obviously, I'm sure the the Charlotte Hornets listeners would love us to do um, an NBA draft on on some potential some potential bigs that might be available at, at our at our selection spot, which we can do. But like my final thought was just going to be. We'll, we will we will see if the Hornets are able to bring back Cody Martin or not. And if not, like it's not unreasonable to think that they would they would look at selecting a wing um, if they're able to keep or or have to uh, send out a draft pick. So, uh, like, I don't think that like discussing these wings, even though some of these guys may not be may, may be too high of picks for for Hornets to get their hands on, I do think discussing a bunch of the wings in this draft, like. Ivy, Kendall Brown, like all these guys we need to do um, because it's not unreasonable to think that the Hornets would, would take another wing, even though I know Book Knight is kind of waiting in the waiting in the wings here, so to speak. Yeah, I think I think the Hornets should still be drafting BPA. It should still be best prospect available. Yeah. Um, you know, again, they've been they've been needing to solve the issue at center for a while, but I think drafting in the middle of the first round in most years, including this year, is not the way to do that. I think if they somehow got into like the top six and you could draft Jalen, uh, Jalen Duran uh, or Jalen Duran, pardon me from Memphis, that would be great. Right. And I mean, he's not, he's not ready to be like a winning NBA player now. Like he's, I think he like just turned 18 years old or is about to turn 18 at Memphis. So he's very young. Um, he's like, I think the best, like pure center prospect in the draft. And if you're picking like 15th or whatever, it's like, I don't know. I wouldn't. I would not draft Mark Williams or Christian Coloco in that range, who are also in that sort of like pure center mold. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if the draft is like again like the way for them. I think they're going to have to solve it um, with with trades and with free agency. And you know, I mean, unless you think there's some hope that they could develop Richards or Carey. I mean, I, I don't know if you want to completely write both of those options yet. It doesn't seem super encouraging, even though Richards, I think, is made himself into you know back end rotation guy this year, which is cool for him. But um yeah, for me it should still be best player available. And I don't think again, I just don't think drafting 14th is like the way to to solve long term the center 
the center issues with this roster. I think they're going to have to, um, you know, now if they ended up drafting in the twenties for, but I guess they would lose the pick if it's in there. So it's just like the, the range of centers. I don't really like how it sets up for, for Charlotte this year, as far as like the guys that I think are pure fives that could be lob threats for LaMelo. You could use, could grow into, cause I like Christian Coloco a lot as like a drop center. Um, from Matherin's teammate at Arizona, but I just like I wouldn't take him at any of the picks that are like acceptable to Charlotte. I think they're probably a little too early. So I would still be thinking wing. I'd still be thinking best player available. You know, maybe it might be someone like Jeremy Sohan if they fell to that range. He would be a great fit, actually, in my opinion. But um, yeah, but yeah, that's where I'm at as far as like the center position and prospects go for this draft. And we can talk about it more, but I think ultimately that's probably not going to be the best pathway for the Hornets again. Yeah. And you know, if their pick is 19 or worse in the first round, they're not going to have it. So, you know, it it would make more sense. And assuming New Orleans doesn't make the playoffs, which is looking highly unlikely at this point that, you know, that, that, uh, that second round pick that New Orleans would, uh, Oh, to Charlotte, that would be a, a spot where you maybe target a center, which we can talk about more in the future. Um, any other thoughts for you guys? Yeah. That, I mean, that could be where you find Willie, Mark Williams or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, that could be. And then that that I would be very much here for, you know, using an early second round pick on Mark Williams. Then, then yeah, I'm cool with that. Um, but no, we've, we've gone on for too long today already, so we should probably uh, tie a bow here. All right. Well, I can take us out. Don't forget – uh, to rate us on Apple, on Spotify, uh, for – I almost said Richie. For Brian, that's the leader. <laughs> this is Spencer. I uh, hope you enjoyed this NBA Draft 2022 bonus coverage. We'll see you next time.